Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thank you for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and future, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. Today, another interview from our Work With Purpose and National Perspective series, hosted by Dr Gordon Debrower. Hello to all listening and welcome to Work With Purpose, a National Perspective, a podcast about the Australian Public Service. My name is Gordon Debrower and I'm the IPA National President. Uh, as National President, I'm opening some conversations with public service leaders from across the nation today. I'm pleased to host a discussion featuring the WA Public Sector Commissioner, Sharon O'Neill. So welcome, Sharon. Sharon was appointed uh, Public Sector Commissioner on the 30th of July, 2018, following 12 years as Director General of the Department of Education. And uh, I think her priority as Commissioner is strengthening and unifying the public sector to better serve the needs of the community. Uh, Sharon started as a teacher and moved through the education department and, and as commissioner. She's got lots of awards and uh, among those is that she's a fellow of, of IPA. So uh, that's great. Uh, Sharon also, I think, uh, led the uh, WA government response to the COVID-19 pandemic. So thanks very much, Sharon, uh, for joining us today. Yeah, good morning. Thank you. So uh, we might start off with uh, just some of your own recollections, Sharon, around how the pandemic started and uh, how, when did you recognise the, uh, the significance of the emerging pandemic? Well, probably we were watching from afar what was unfolding uh, internationally and then you know, Western Australia had its first reported uh, case in about February, I think Diamond Princess in Japan, and uh, cruise ships became a theme for us later. But then it was like this mad pace. I think before that we were watching and preparing, but it was somewhat theoretical. And then came this, you know, once there was a Western Australian case, this um, really cracking pace. You know, we got all the director generals together. We formed the, you know, an emergency cabinet uh, committee. The pandemic plan went out. And then we found ourselves in a state of emergency. And... You know, that's uh, something that we haven't had. And so I think that really woke everyone up, you know, including me, to the reality of uh, what we were facing and wasn't very long. I mean, that, that all of that's a 10-day period, National Cabinet, uh, restrictions being brought on, and all of a sudden we found our world changed. And uh, for Western Australia, that's, you know, a pretty cruisy but... Um, you know, on the front foot place as well, that shook us, I think. And that was my recollection. It was just so quick. We have COVID time, don't we? Things happen yes. at a different time. And so that was my early experience. And all of a sudden I was at National Cabinet, this new beast um, alongside the Premier. Every, every Premier has one advisor and there I was. And uh, we were awake. We were awake to it pretty fast. Thanks. How, how did it? Uh, how did the responsibility come to you, Sharon, as commissioner, as opposed to a department head? You know, it's interesting. I'm the only one uh, around Australia that would be at that is at national cabinet with their premier. All of the rest are uh, the head of uh, you know the premier's department. 
the Premier here felt that um, I was able to bring with me the the power and the work of the public sector, which he knew was going to be needed on steroids. And so to have me at the table with him, he felt was a direct connection. I'd been a department head for a long time. So I, I guess there's you know, good experience working across the sector with the Premier's department, you know, with the Commonwealth. And uh, the Premier was of the view that going forward, we would be resting we wouldn't be resting at all, as it turned out, but we would be uh, you know, placing a lot of emphasis on the work of the public sector to uh, draw us all together. And so that was the basis of his decision. Thanks. Um, throughout this conversation, I'd like to go through three broad areas. One's to think about what the impact of the pandemic has been on service delivery and, and advice, so how the public service works with the public and serves the public. The second is around the impact on public sector workplaces and some of the changes there. And then to talk about relationships and coming back, frankly, I guess, to cross-government and then the Federation. Uh, we might start off, though, with the service delivery. Uh, you've got any observations around how, in WA, uh, the pandemic affected or changed the way services were delivered and some of the stories and elements of that and how you thought about that? I think like every other place, uh, we were sort of thrown into a non-contact way of operating. And as much as public sectors are trying to move, I think, into a more contemporary, you know, digital online space, I think we found ourselves um, really needing to work quickly to ensure sure service delivery wasn't uh, you know, so directly impacted. And so, like everyone else, you know, schools, um, you know, towards the end of term, uh, you know, really winding down, I guess. Western Australia uh, very quickly got schools back in second term and, you know, some particular reasons for that around, um, you know, economy, but also the research said that, you know, children weren't, um, you know, being infected. We didn't have community spread. Uh, and the importance of um, our frontline workers being able to work and also standing shoulder to shoulder. So a whole range of reasons why we why we felt that way. Like everyone else, public transport was uh, pretty dead. Um, visitors to prisons, you know, not happening. Uh, hospitals, um, kind of ghost-like, <laughs> if you like. No one, no one there. So those you know, same experiences uh, as as everyone else, but. You know, the, the, what I saw across Western Australia in terms of um, service delivery was, the, you know, that word that's become so important, you know, that, that pivot, um, you know, that people were really taking care in a way that I, I'm not sure our service delivery has done so well before about the user experience, if you like. So even though we talk about it all the time, I think we were caused... In a, in a really fast way, a really deliberate way to think around how people were going to experience our service or uh, receive it rather than the way that we were going to deliver it, <laughs> you know, a different um, side of the coin. And I, and I think we were forced. Uh, I mean, this is public sector reform on steroids in my view. Uh, you know, we've had a program of public sector reform, but there we were. We had to deliver, de deliver it differently. You know, we had to have that reform on the front line right there and then uh, in a way that people could receive it in this new world. And 
that a large, you know, a large part of that comes down to the way in which we viewed our own services, I think. Have you got some, sorry to put you on the spot about this, but some concrete examples of how that worked? And maybe also across the state, WA is a really big state, uh, and across the regions in WA, and then also with uh, Aboriginal communities. Yeah, the one that comes to mind for me is, you know, everyone's go digital, go global, and then we have this whole aged community that aren't, ne- no, not all of them, but a lot of them aren't necessarily hooked into working online. And so, you know, while we might view going online as, you know, the modal future, I think we had to think about how um, personalised services could be delivered to, you know, uh, older people who weren't going to go and buy their um, food online unless they were getting help. And so, you know, reaching into community uh, support groups, you know, a, a different way of thinking about that problem, you know, rather than just a one directional, we will provide you this service, here it is, we're doing it online. And that was particularly felt in the regions, you know, the digital divide in the regions, let alone remote Aboriginal communities. And I've been running the um, impact analysis and from a regional perspective, that digital divide, the assumption that our services can be received online, regardless of whether they can be delivered, whether they'll be received online and what that does to people from you know, lower income families, um, Aboriginal communities, I think that just needs to be reconsidered. And I, and I just call it for the moment user experience, you know, as much as we might have grand ideas about how we might deliver it. And so I think we learned some lessons there and uh, the protection of Aboriginal people in remote you know, Aboriginal communities as well, uh, about service delivery, about partnering and their voice about the extent they wanted people into their communities or not. So while we have this great power of the public service to provide a terrific public service, I think we we were made to think around how people want to receive that service uh, in a really concrete way. Um, on, on the changes that you want to keep, so you talked about lessons learned, how are you going to go about keeping them or identifying them then? How do you keep what you want to keep and not just let it dissipate or fall away? Yeah, we, while I've been, uh, as recovery controller here in Western Australia, working through the impacts and plans across you know, a range of areas, we ran at the same time, uh, well, we are running at the same time, a study around uh, around the public sector. And a lot, Gordon, for me, comes down to mindset, whether we saw this as an episode and then we sit back now and we go back to normal. Uh, so for me, you know, it would be very easy just to declare, um, you know, this is now happening, we're all uh, operating in a certain way, but we know the culture always has to catch up. So I think that's it's a great question about how we go about doing that. But we've taken our Director-Generals from the get-go uh, through this process and so we're actually uh, changing not our structure of departments, but our structure of collaboration. Uh, the director generals you know, meeting each week, working across you know the normal divides, I guess, or the normal um, standard pillars that seem to form between departments, and, and working in a different way. And and, and so I, I guess I come from more of a mindset rather than changing structures that we're going to. Um, have, and we are working on just continuing the way that we are. So 
here in Western Australia, the recovery effort has been given to the public sector, which is the point I made earlier. And so we are reorganising ourselves uh, to make the recovery the agenda forward. So rather than it being an episode, we're just continuing on in this in this vein. But uh, you know, I think there will need to be some consideration of structure and definitely uh, culture to embed you know, this way of working into the future. So I think you know one thing we can do is stop talking about public sector reform and just get on and do it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, some jurisdictions uh, are collecting information through uh, surveys of communities or businesses that you work with, uh, or also through pulse surveys of staff and seeing how things have changed, getting, uh, say, measurements of... Uh, change performance and satisfaction uh, or, or impact. Um, how have you gone about getting that sort of evidence? Yeah, we developed a full survey. and In fact, some other jurisdictions are using our survey uh, that went to all of our department heads, but also all of our small uh, CEO uh, organisations as well. Just trying to get to exactly the questions you're asking, you know, what was the sense of productivity during the working from home period? Uh, what are some of the lessons learnt that we can um, build on? And you know, it's not surprising the results that come back are around, you know, the uh, challenge around digital, um, you know, a sense around working flexibly, a greater sense around working flexibly, um, partnership, how do we really embed the partnership approach that we've taken in this state to uh, to recovery. So it, quite a large survey. It was expansive and extensive, <laughs> I must say. And then in addition to that, we've had uh, in place uh, our I Think platform, uh, which enables the 140,000 public sector people here to contribute ideas for public sector improvement uh, through COVID and beyond. So we have tried to take an opportunity here to re-look at ourselves and see what improvements can be made and, and how we sustain the momentum that we have and the way that we're working at the moment, but let people sleep at the same time because the pace is not sustainable uh, at this point. Yep. That's a good segue to talk about uh, the changes that have happened in the, uh, the WA uh, public sector workforce. Can you talk through some of the changes that happened, uh, the different styles of working, working from home, how, how you manage that in terms of... Um, timing and thinking about work health and safety, those, those sorts of things? Yeah, it was a really interesting experience for us uh, working from home. Uh, I wouldn't say the public sector uh, was the first to get going uh, on working from home here um, in Western Australia because we didn't have any community spread. And so at the time we had the concern of the cruise ships, which I alluded to uh, earlier, which was the, the, I guess, became the focus of uh, people's fear and uncertainty and concern, but you know there was no community spread out, outside of that. So uh, there were two schools of thought about working from home, but the private sector moved pretty quickly to work from home, and then decisions were uh, made here to uh, you know, further discussions here among director generals, and then we had people uh, work from home, including vulnerable people. And so I think it was. Um, managed very well. It was you know, sensible. Um, I think there were some pressures around, well, there were some pressures around uh, digital capability. You know, that was mixed and varied, but every state, you know, would say the same thing. I was really um, pressing forward on making sure managers knew how to 
manage and lead in this environment. So we you know, made available a lot of resources and uh, had sessions uh, with managers because it is it is a different way of working and a different style and. It certainly suited a whole range of people and then other people asked if they could come back. And I think that's also an interesting um, observation. We didn't make people go. It was a choice and uh, a range of people uh, didn't go. At Probably at the maximum we had 62% um, of people who could work at home when you take out the front line, the teachers uh, for us, um, you know, the nurses, et cetera. 62% of people who could have worked at home did, and we're down to about 7% now, which is our vulnerable um, cohort. But I, I, it took um, it took some stepping up, I think, and some learning around how to communicate, uh, how to lead at a distance. And uh, I think it was a good effort, and I really pay respects to my colleagues and the way that they managed that. Thanks. How did that uh, vary uh, between Perth and, and the regions in Western Australia? How, how did you approach that? Um, well, we, we, you know, the large proportion of our population uh, is in Perth, but we do have you know, regional communities and workplaces around Western Australia. It was based on choice and capability uh, at the end of the day. And so where in regions... Um, people had to move quickly to build in, I suppose, uh, a digital capability that happened uh, with a lot of support and across agencies as well. So, you know, on the ground out in regions, agencies assisted each other uh, in this regard. And I understand in some places uh, where digital capability wasn't as stable, uh, people found ingenious ways to uh, communicate. Um, good old-fashioned phone meetings as well. So people people just made um, do where it wasn't optimal, but I think it's shone a light for us uh, in terms of sustainability or future operations if we, you know, had a second wave or found ourselves you know, in another situation. It, you know, the digital issue is something that we need to uh, think about, but also the management and leadership issues in regions where they're less connected. I, I think yeah. that's yeah, clear focus for us in Western Australia. So when people are having to work with in very different circumstances and with different things happening, they have to innovate or they have to come up with solutions. Did you find uh, there was a sort of a, a jump in innovation, in trial, experimentation uh, through the public service? And then how do, you, how do you keep that? How do you maintain that? Well, it's one of the things I really enjoyed. I mean, there's not much we enjoy about a pandemic, so I don't want to, that to be taken the wrong way. No. But people, people just stepped up. Uh, they gave themselves permission. Uh, they were given permission and they gave themselves permission, I guess, um, in this situation. But what's really interesting about that is that there's already scope for a range of these things to happen but people either feel restrained or constrain themselves. And so, you know, working from home is already a policy position of the government. You know, agencies can make that decision. But all of a sudden, people had the freedom um, to enact that in, in a way. And, and I think they also had the freedom to lead. Perhaps they hadn't felt before, which is something that I'll pick up uh, with Director Generals as we go. Um, 
I think you know, staggered starts, for example. No one's saying you can't do that. Uh, you know, we had some um, more flexible recruitment, or you know, perhaps some less constraint around some of the requirements. Um, those requirements actually aren't there. They're ones that we impose on ourselves. And so I think this is a really interesting point that's you know worthy of discussion among you know, certainly our colleagues here is. Um, again, the mindset that this allowed people to have that I, I need to be innovative, I need to find solutions, you know, I can do that, I have the freedom to do that. Uh, I just think that was um, a characteristic of, of the time that we've been through that we don't want to lose. Yeah, I think, uh, frankly, everyone shares that and it's a, it's a deeply shared experience. One of the issues with that is that uh, when things go wrong, uh, how do you deal with a mistake? So there are always mistakes, and that, that's that's a sad thing, but there are always mistakes. But if you're in a bit of a different world and there's a bit more experimentation and innovation, people are doing things themselves, something goes wrong, how do you not revert back to where you were before but learn from it? And so how do you, how do you develop that culture? Well, that whole intelligent uh, and common sense accountability that we don't always quite crack, you know, is an important consideration here. And I think how people um, respond when it doesn't go exactly right tells us something, you know, about, about the culture. But at the heart of that, during this process, I think we've had to look, each of us in our workplaces and certainly our agencies, about what matters and get to the heart of what actually matters, uh, you know, when you're having to make decisions around where to put priority, where to put, you know, resources. And, and we had people, you know, moving resources across agencies, um, you know, with freedom. And as a public sector commission, uh, we assisted people to do that in an, uh, an easy and transparent way. But you can never do that uh, at the, you know, forsaking, you know, integrity and merit and um, etc. So finding that balance, I think, and coming back and asking ourselves again, what really matters? And therefore, you know, what should we be held uh, accountable for? And the mythology, busting the mythology that sits around a lot of what we do, the layers that we add on uh, from an accountability perspective in case something goes wrong. So risk appetite comes to mind. Um, during these periods, it's all about risk and look how well we manage. But, you know, I'm not suggesting we have to throw out um, all of the good accountability and governance that goes with it. In fact, at this time, it has to be even better, but about the right things. So having that conversation. Yeah. Thing. That's great. Uh, if you're happy now, we'll just shift on to uh, talk about some of the relationships and probably four bundles that be people would be interested in hearing you. One's just, again, with communities and business and how the interaction of government, especially, I think, public administration with the communities and what you learnt from that. Uh, but then we'll go on to working within government, relationship with ministers, and then actually with the Federation and how you found National Cabinet. But do you want to start with the community, the broader community? So what we decided to do here is take a partnership approach. It was called state-led. It was you know, led through the public sector and partnership with the, the broader community, business, not-for-profit, et cetera. And we decided to hear the voices. So I've mentioned, I think, already we had over 30,000 hits from the general public, including industry and others, so we were seeking their voices. 
And uh, yeah, that was uh, we got some really interesting ideas and thoughts through that. But generally, um, working with industry, we ran more than 30 roundtables, ministerial roundtables involving more than 600 people. And we opened up and said, here is our assessment of the impact uh, to date, knowing that this impact unf unfolds from a um, health to an economic you know, to a social crisis. But here's our take on the impact to date. And we just laid it out for them, you know, in a really transparent way. Is this your experience of the impact on the ground? Industry, individuals, you know, not-for-profits, unions, uh, public sector, etc. Et and eight in ten people said that it did. And, and I was really encouraged by that because, you know, often people think the public sector is um, disconnected from, from reality on the ground. But they told us where the gaps were. Uh, I was really happy to receive that. So a really collective effort around assessing the impact. And then we asked them about you know, what ideas do we have short term and long term uh, going into the future. And you know, the governor himself also ran a round table. And, and so we've tried to take here a really collective um, approach. So in terms of relationships, open, um, listening, um, yeah, making decisions about what's in and out. That's the government's decision, of course. Uh, but I think positioning um, the other sectors alongside uh, us, and so that certainly has been well received here in Western Australia. Uh, to the relationship around um, across government and ministers and, and just working with the government, um, <clears throat> high degree of collaborative uh, effort it's really interesting, same with the National Cabinet, when you see uh, the common cause, um, you know, working with and for and against a common um, issue, the galvanisation you know, rather than balkanisation that happens has been quite remarkable. And that's certainly my reflection on being a participant or at least an advisor at um, National Cabinet, the, let's just call it the oneness <laughs> that was evident, most evident in the uh, early days, the level of sharing, uh, the openness, uh, the willing to you know, help each other across uh, across you know, normal divisions and lines, I found remarkable. Uh, the humanity uh, in that room I also found um, remarkable. And I remember the day that I walked out of one of my first national cabinets with the Premier and we're up on the 14th floor or 13th floor and we walked out to a window and, and our Premier just put his hands on the window, it looks out over Perth and I could just sense the gravity and, and he said, you know, I really feel deeply about these decisions we're making that impact so greatly on the lives of Western Australians, you know, closing um, businesses, etc. And so, you know, the gravity, the humanity, the collaboration, um, I, I just, it, it's remarkable um, to have been able to be a, an observer to all of that and to feel um, so encouraged that people were at the heart of the decisions, regardless of what other people might say. Uh, that was certainly, from my perspective, um, you know, a, a great a privilege to be able to see that in motion. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's uh, so important. You, what's your reflection then on on the health of the federation in that case? Uh, so trust, respect for sovereignty, trust, uh, empathy are very important. H how do you main? What's the impact of that, and how do you maintain it? Well, it's <laughs> it's a really 
um, I think, an interesting challenge. Um, you know, Western Australians, as you would know, um, uh, we guard our uniqueness <laughs> um, strongly. Um, I don't always think it's understood um, about the contribution of Western Australia um, to the broader you know, Australian landscape. And yeah, so I think it's it's a very fine balance between the interests of your own state and the interests um, of the nation. And, and my early observations of National Cabinet were that those in those finely balanced interests were um, managed, I think, really very well. Uh, and I pay great regard to all of the First Ministers and the Prime Minister around that. Um, I think that's increasingly a challenge as we see this pandemic take different courses in different states. And so we have a very, our government has a very firm position around its hard border for the protection of Western Australians. It's what's allowed us to open up internally and try and reboot our economy. We couldn't have done it if we hadn't uh, put that uh, in place. And so I think that's um, a challenge and that um, federated model, these are when the challenges are at its greatest, I think, when that when the balance starts to shift. Uh, and I don't pretend to have an answer to that, but I just know that it's I can, I can see and feel the great challenge of it. Yeah, I think people who've worked in the Federation know that, but have seen that themselves as well. Uh, but what this has given us is the ability to talk and to have the, have, have, the, have the proper conversations and the serious conversations, even if interests are very different. And I think there's probably a lot more respect for that difference now than there was previously. Do you mind if I shift the tone a little bit as we, as we close? And I want to get a little bit personal, if, if that's okay. Uh, and probably two ask two questions. One is what you learnt about yourself uh, through this, what you discovered about yourself. And then these are really difficult times and, and what you learnt about resilience uh, and, and how to be resilient. What A couple of things I learnt about myself um, um, from the very light end, one can do without nails and hairdressers for <laughs> a while. Um, who knew? Um, I learnt about myself uh, some of the things perhaps I've worried about over time are really first world problems. And so a great reminder for myself around why I do what I do, which is deeply, um, was always about social justice for me. So this has brought forward for me a strong reminder uh, around being centred about why we do the things that we do. Um, and it's about the people, you know, about people people around me. Um, from a personal perspective also, that for a pretty strong independent woman, um, we all need, you know, we, we're all dependent on someone else. They're good reminders, I think, about our place in the world and our, our place in, in um, you know, community generally. So standing out on the end of the driveway at six o'clock in the morning um, for Anzac Day, which is how we celebrated it here with a candle, uh, was so moving uh, and I think for me was striking uh, to me in a way that just reminded me to be part of the community, not just helping administer for the community. Well, th thanks very much. Um, and, uh, and thank you, Sharon, for 
talking, but also thank you for what you've done over the past few months and your contribution uh, to, to the nation and, and, to, and to your state, Western Australia. Uh, and congratulations on, on what you've achieved. Uh, so, again, th th thanks uh, very much. Thanks very much for having a chat today. Such important topics and I'm really pleased to be able to share my thoughts with other people but hear other people's thoughts as well. So thank you. And there you have it, another great conversation hosted by Dr Gordon De Brower. Work with Purpose, a national perspective. Work with Purpose is part of the GovComs podcast network and if you do want to check out that GovComs podcast, please type it into your favourite podcast browser and it is sure to come up. If you do happen to come across our social media promotion for Work With Purpose, please pass it along and share it because it will help it to be found. And if you do have enough time to give us a generous rating, probably a five-star review, that would be appreciated as well because that will help us to be discovered. Thanks again to our good friends at IPA and to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support. And thanks to you, the audience, for coming back once again. That's it for now. We'll be back at the same time next week. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Bye.